We have been praying a few times already in this service. We're going to pray again in a few seconds. And we're going through the Origins uh, series. So I want us to remember we're praying for the creator of the universe. I mean, what a privilege that we have that we can approach him and talk to him this morning and any morning in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you that you give us your Holy Spirit this morning to open our hearts and understand your, your message from, uh, for us. Uh, thank you for the, the freedom that we have to be here and to open your word and to gather together to study it, Lord. For your honor, your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you have been here uh, in the recent Sundays, you know we have been going through this series called Origins, covering the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 8 today, so obviously three more Sundays after uh, this one. And the more I have been studying the, the, the book of Genesis, I am, I'll confess that I am humbled by my inability to fully understand, fully comprehend what's, what's in there. Uh, that's got to be more supernatural stuff than what is even registered in this, in this book for, for us here. But at the same time, it has been reinforcing with me the understanding that this book is one story, not a collection of 66 different stories or more than that in each book. It's one story, story of God wanting a relationship with man and man repeatedly failing. I mean, we went through the creation and Adam and Eve put in a perfect place and disobeying God. We're going through the point that God is tired of the, the weakness uh, of the earth and he decides to blot out humanity and start again with Noah and his family. And if we would continue reading, we'll see that that doesn't last very long. And then, I mean, if we would continue through Genesis, we would see God selecting a special people with Abraham and Sarah to, to start the people with a special relationship, and those didn't honor uh, God's name. So it's very clear that man, by its own efforts, is unable to please God and to have a relationship with him. He obviously knew that. That's why as part of his plan in this one big story, he sent his son to die for us, to pay the price of our sins, and uh, then we can have that uh, relationship with him that God wanted from before the creation of the world. We are right in the middle of the story of Noah and the flood, and today we'll, we'll cover the chapter that talks about when the waters are receding. Well, again, I, I just mentioned that I firmly believe that there is more supernatural things happening than what is registered in this book. For example, I do not picture Noah chasing a chicken to put it inside the ark or wrestling a pig that doesn't want to go. I think somehow God supernaturally made that happen in a slightly easier way than, than Noah at 600 years of age chasing a chicken in the, in the neighborhood of where he was building the ark there. So I don't know what else is there, but I, I have to believe that there was more on that. Again, just to put in perspective, I know Pastor Chris already touched on that uh, a little bit, but 
The arc was 515 feet long. That's more than 12 times the size of this room we are in. Okay, the width was about 85 feet. That's more than double the size width-wise. And it was 50, 51.5 feet tall. This is about 18, so about three times. So if you multiply the, the, the numbers, it's about 72 times the volume of this room. This thing was massive. And Chris already said, Noah, with primitive tools, somehow, I mean, the guidance from God was not just those dimensions, and hey, go build the ark. I mean, there has to be more on that. I remember when I was in, in, in college uh, for my engineering degree, we had one of the professors, he was a naval engineer. I don't even know if he was a Christian or not, but he made an interesting comment. He said, those proportions that the Bible describes for the ark are the ideal proportions for flotation. You would not make a ship like that if you want to cross the Atlantic. The ark was not going anywhere, it just needed to float. So in Today's technology, I should say 40 years ago technology, because that's when I was in, in, in college, uh, the flotation proportions for uh, a ship are compatible with this. That knowledge was not available when Noah was building it. That knowledge was not available when Moses was describing it, uh, assuming, like we believe, that uh, Moses wrote these uh, first books. Chris also mentioned that dozens of different people's cultures have a story very similar to the story of the flood in their culture, in their oral culture. It makes it actually the best documented ancient historical fact. So again, I don't fully understand everything that's going on here, but I can trust that it has, it has God's hand on it in an in a even more uh, miraculous way than, than we can see. Okay, we're going to read the text, and to a degree, I, I need a, a little bit like if Origins was a TV series. At this point, there would be a voiceover, probably it would be Scott Allen saying, like, uh, uh, previously on Origins. <laughs> and they would give a short story of God's displeasure with the weakness of man when he tells uh, Noah to build the ark and get the animals and get inside the ark. Okay, that's what happened before to bring us to the point we are, we are in. So we're now ready to read. If you want to open your Bibles, we use the ESV translation. So if you're doing on your devices there, that's what we use. If you need some Bibles, we have some in the back. So Genesis 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of he the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters recede from the earth continuously. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the top of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up on the earth. Then he sent forth a dove, uh, 
from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the earth. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to, the, to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited uh, another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth there was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 604th year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from, the, uh, from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 20th, seventh day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, uh, all the, that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wife with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike again down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Well, to help those of you that don't like math, if you add up all those days that are described here, it's about a year. Give or take, depend on you count uh, lunar month or whatever, but it's very close to a year. So Noah, his family, and the animals were there in the ark for about a year. Okay? If you like to take notes, we're going to have four subtitles. One, God's sovereignty. And that will be covered in verses 1 and 2. Second, Noah's patience and obedience, verses 3 to 14. Number three, Noah's worship, verses 15 through 20. And number four, God's covenant, verses 21 and 22. So let's start with God's sovereignty. The text starts in the very first verse there. But God remembered Noah. Well, it's obvious that that does not mean that God forgot. Oh, Noah forgot him there in the ark. It's not like when we put something on the stove and go do something else. and Oh, it's burning. I need to go there. That's obviously not the, the meaning. So I did some investigation and... Braveheart Childs states, the word implies God's movement towards the object due to a previous commitment. In other words, the, the right time arrived for God to interfere again in, 
in history like he, he had done. It passes the idea of his covenant. He had made a promise. He is he's coming back to complete the, the plan. And again, the same way that when God chose Noah, it's 100% God's initiative now to come back and interfere in history again for the next uh, chapter of what's going on here. And God has total control over the situation. You see that he says that God made a wind blow. Actually, that's not even a unique thing. It's not unusual. God made a wind blow to open the Red Sea, for example, for the, the, the people to, to go through when they were fleeing Egypt. The, the, the concept of wind representing God's activity is throughout the Bible. And then it says that he made the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven close. Pastor Chris mentioned that before. The, the flood was not just a result of 40 days of rain, but at the same time there were fountains, geysers, whatever, bringing water from the deep as well. That's why it, it went up so, so fast. Um, then the mountains were seen, dry land emerged. This to a degree kind of echoes Genesis 1. God commands, nature obeys. God commands, nature obeys. Okay, it's similar to what we saw in the first chapters of this, this book. Now, one thing that I stopped when I was reading at that point, because in most cultures, even completely different cultures in the, in the world, believe that the control of the forces of nature is something that is from God, it's from divinity. And actually, that reminded of one of the first things I read from Tim Keller. You guys know that I frequently quote him in my, in my sermons. Years ago, the first, one of the first things that I read in his book, King's Cross, when he's going through the book of Mark, he comes to when Jesus is with his disciples in the Sea of Galilee, and the storm starts. Jesus is sleeping, and the storm starts, and it's obvious that it was a big storm because it says the disciples were afraid. I mean, these were seasoned fishermen. In the Sea of Galilee, where they had been most of their, of their lives, so this was an unusually severe storm to the point that they wake up, Jesus, and they say, don't you mind, we're going to die here? Remember that in that text? Then Jesus gets up and he says, quiet, be still. The rain stops, the wind stops, the waters uh, stop. And what Tim Keller highlights there that really was engraved in my memory, he said at that point, if you read the text, Mark says, and the disciples were terrified. They were afraid of this big storm. But the storm was something known. I mean, they could fight. They, they could try to keep the boat uh, on the water. When Jesus calms the storm, they said, we are in the presence of God. Right? I mean, that's, then they were terrified. I mean, it took them to another level. They, they said, oh, I mean, it's like Isaiah saying, I mean, I'm going to be burned now. I mean, I'm in the presence of God. So it's the same God, the same God that was controlling the, the storm in the flood is controlling the, the, the storm in the Sea of Galilee there. That's the same God we worship today. That's the same God we serve today. So we have to remember that it's not a small thing, 
I mean, we're here and we worship. I mean, we were just doing that a few minutes ago. We pray. We need to put the right dimension to, to what we are doing here. I mean, it's a tremendous privilege that God gave us to be able to have a relationship with this enormous God that, that, that we have. Second topic, Noah's obedience and patience. If you remember, there is a uh, record of God telling Noah to build the ark. Then there is another order from God for him to enter the ark. Then when we go through today's chapter, there is a detailed narrative about those 300 and some days after the rain stopped. I mean, again, a year for total, 40 days of rain, so 320 some days after that. And what was uh, happening there? Noah is there patiently doing his part of the work in God's plan. The same way that he went building the ark for 120 20 years, he is there now. I don't know, feeding the animals. I don't know. I th again, were the animals kind of in a hibernation that God put there? Or was that another supernatural thing that some of the animals there didn't eat each other or Noah's family or something like that? So there's more miraculous uh, things happening there. But in all this, Noah's there. He's doing his part of the, of the thing. And by the way, there is no record of any communication from God during that whole year. At least from what we know from the Bible, we have the order for Noah to enter the ark with the animals. And at the end of this chapter, the order for him to get out of the ark, there's nothing recorded in between. So it's possible that he was there saying, well, God put me here. God wanted me going through this. I'm going to be here doing my part. Okay. Again, uh, Ken Matthews, the book that Pastor uh, Chris let me borrow, he makes an interesting commentary uh, at this point. He says, in 40 days, the flood came. It took more than 300 for it to recede. How many times isn't that a picture of things that happen in our life? We have a sudden event that hit us, and then it takes a long time to recede. We deal with that. Again, God is in control. We could debate if God causes those situations or if he allows those situations. But the truth is, in either case, it's under his control. He knows you are going through, through that. He didn't forget you. The remember the word that we had in the beginning of the, the, the chapter is just that the moment that God acts again. Uh, List, one of Liszt's favorite uh, verses, Romans 12, 12, and it fits here very well. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So, we may be in a, in a situation like that. I mean, Noah had to go through the embarrassment of building an ark when probably there was not even rain ever. Again, we don't know that for sure, but in the beginning of Genesis, it talks about a, a mist going up. So he's building a boat, in the, not in the water, not near the water, probably being mocked by everybody. And then he goes in and he's patient there. We sometimes need to remember that, that we may be a little shy of being out there, being expressing to, to others about our our faith and not, not hiding. There is our part in this deal that we have with God that, that he expects us to, to do so. 
keep on doing your part. God sustained Noah during that period, miraculously. He will sustain you as well going through, through that. Because it is the same God we serve today. It's the same God we worship today. It's not a different one. It's the same one that Noah had this relationship with. Let's go to the third subtopic, Noah's worship. That is covered in verses 15 through 20. As we saw when we read the, the, the text, the ark came to rest in these mountains of the Ararat. Ararat is a, a it's in Turkey today. Uh, it's a little chain of mountains, actually very tall mountains. I mean, the, the one that's called Mount Ararat is, would be one of the top 10 in the U.S. if you don't count Alaska, because Alaska alone has a lot of tall mountains, but it, it's, it's enormous, 17,000 feet tall, uh, the Ararat. Uh, so there is a, a, a description there on the, on the sequence of events. The top of the mountains become visible. Noah sends the raven. Noah sends the, the dove. And the dove comes back with a, with a freshly plucked olive leaf. So it's, it's an evidence that life is being renewed. I mean, the title of today's message is the first renewal. I mean, here is the first evidence, concrete evidence that life is being renewed. God is preparing the earth for what's coming next, just as God planned. Again, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Chris insisted on that point. Things happen exactly the way God indicate they would happen. Again, he's in control. Again, this is what is happening again. Only at that point, I mean, 300 and some days later is when Noah hears the voice of the Lord that, hey, time to come out, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Again, an echo of what God told Adam and Eve in the beginning of creation. It's a renewal. It's a new new creation that's happening here. When they finally get out of the ark, first thing Noah does is to worship God. He builds an altar. It's actually the first time in the Bible that a sacrifice is presented in an altar. Uh, so he has this act of worship, understanding that this God that told him to build the ark, that this was coming, he saw it coming. He saw this whole thing. Um, Alan Ross, in another commentary, says, after the flood, the flood, Noah could see that in addition to the wrath of God on earth, there was also redemption and restoration. No human has experienced that so strongly. I mean, Noah saw that in, 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 a, in a way that uh, was very obvious. God said, I'm going to blot out humanity, but I'm going to preserve you, and there will be a new beginning there. To a degree, that's still the reality that we deal uh, with God. God didn't become more tolerant of sin in these few thousands of years between this event and today. He hates sin as much as he did back there, right? So his just, justice still requires him to judge and condemn sin. But he called us to have a relationship with him like he had always desired, as I said, that's the story of the, of the Bible. God prepared the restoration and renewal for Noah. He has, in Christ, prepared a way for us to be acceptable by God. I mean, we, we wouldn't 
be presentable in front of God carrying our sins. We were too ugly to be in God's presence with that. But Jesus came and paid the price for, for that so we can be acceptable to God. It's the same grace that has saved us. His grace is enough for that. And that's the same God we serve today. That's the same God we worship today. Number four, God's covenant. Now again, going back to the parallel, if this was one of those TV series, at this point, the voiceover would say, uh, scenes of the next episode. Stay tuned. Because this last part of chapter eight is actually what chapter nine explores in more detail. So Pastor Seth will cover that uh, next Sunday. So this is a glimpse of what's going to be discussed in, in more details there. But God makes a promise. He offers a covenant because he's pleased with what happened, with Noah coming out and wanting to worship him. And it says that the burnt offering had a pleasing aroma. And God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Now, let's understand for a minute. One thing did not change. Man's heart. <laughs> because if you see the continuation of that same sentence, when God says, I will never again curse the ground because of man. He says, fornication of man's heart is evil from his youth. Well, God knows that's not going to change. I mean, what's coming in the next chapters of uh, Genesis didn't catch God by surprise. He didn't say, oh, my second try and it failed again. I mean, I tried with Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. Now I brought out humanity, start again with Noah. Very soon they're doing that again. It's not a surprise to God. He's actually saying that here. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So what happens in the next chapters when Pastor Chris covers chapter 10 and 11? Not a surprise to God. He, he knew that was coming and it was part of his plan because that reinforces, demonstrates, proves that we are unable to save ourselves. It doesn't matter what situation we can press the restart button and we'll fail again. And that more and more proves the point that we need, again, God's initiative. I used already that word a few times in this message, that God took the initiative to do this. Well, he took the initiative to take care of our uh, inability. Let's pretend here that uh, Pastor Chris comes to my house with Keller, okay? And Keller's going around, and I have this million-dollar vase. It's my investment for my retirement. And Keller bumps to it and the thing falls on the floor and, and breaks. It didn't happen, okay? It's just a story here. Then I say, Keller, can you pay a million dollars for this vase? He, he's doing that. No, he can't. Then I go, Chris, can you pay a million dollars? And Chris says, why didn't you talk to Seth and Scott and do insurance on that, on that vase? I mean, why are you now uh, having a problem? I could even say, that's okay, no problem. Well, then I would be bearing the, the cost of that. Our relationship with, uh, that's a Tim Keller as well, by the way. Uh, <laughs> our relationship with God is broken. Somebody has to pay the price. We don't have the money. We don't have the ability to, to pay the, uh, the price. But again, God prepared the only possible way for that to happen. He needed to send one without sin, his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, pleasing to God, 
be unjustly condemned, die for our sin, resurrect three days later, defeating death. So the price is paid. The broken relationship can be mended because the price has been paid by his mercy and grace. God took care of that. We would not have the ability to, to do that. Whatever God says it will happen, happens. And that makes us, rem uh, it, it reminds us that we are talking about this first renewal, again, the title of today's message, but there is a final renewal coming, possibly soon, when Christ will come again, not as a humble servant, not as the one to die for our sins. He's going to come as a mighty king to judge, to reward, and to condemn according to what he has been, he has been saying in this in the, in the whole uh, Bible, in the whole story here. Again, it's still the same God. The same God we serve, the same God we worship is the one behind all this. A quick application here, besides the ones that I mentioned before. You may be listening to this, but I want that to you, that you bring that a little closer to you. You may be in a place, and sometimes I think we, we all are, that we almost have the impression that God has forgotten us. Well, he has not. He may be silent for a while. I mean, he went silent for a year with Noah there. Maybe the right time for the next chapter in your story has not happened yet. So, like Noah, what's left for us is to be patient, trusting in his plan, doing our part of his plan, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember Hebrews 13, 8? This is the same God we serve. This is the God we worship. Almost every time I, I read a chapter, there is a main idea that catches my attention. When I was studying this, the very first three words were the ones that caught my attention the most. But God remembered Noah. Four, sorry. Well, I tried to put myself there, but God remembered Ed. And I think you can put your name there, but God remember and put your name there. Even when you don't feel that the circumstances are clear, that they are explainable. If, if Noah would give an interview to CNN when he was in day 300 there, I don't know if he would have a good explanation, but he was trusting God. He was saying, hey, my part of the plan is to keep this going, and I trust God will take care of it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are going to be my closing verse here. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Lord, we thank you that we can have your word and we have the freedom to study it and to try to understand what you have there for, for our lives, Lord. We, we thank you for that opportunity. We, we ask that your spirit may be confirming this, this message in our hearts, Lord, and that we might want to be worshiping you like Noah did at the end of that uh, chapter, Lord, because we know your grace is enough, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.